Good morning. Please help yourself to some coffee. I want to thank our Amuna sponsors for the series for the year, Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan, who have sponsored the Zechah Nishmas, Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit, Baruch Tzvi Ben Ruvay Nassan, who lived a life filled with Torah, Avodah Hashem, and was a model of Amuna. We are uh, still making our way through Revolba's Sefer Be'emunaso Yechia. The title of the Sefer is in itself a shir. The name of the Sefer is in itself a great lesson, which is telling us that if we want to really be alive, the way to be living is to be living with Emuna. Self-centered, self-focused lives, all we care about is our own pleasure, our own happiness, our own joy. We're not really alive, we're dead even while we are alive. And the truth is we see that all around us. There are people whose lives are defined by their own, uh, their own pursuit of their own pleasure. And they're empty, they're hollow inside because there's always something out there that they think happiness is outside themselves. If only I had more money, if only I had more, more uh, status, if only I had more honor, if only I had more power, if only I had a different spouse, if only I had different children, if only I had... There are people who think that, not me. I have the perfect spouse. Just ask her, I'm just joking. I have the perfect spouse. But there are people who think if only I had, I'd be happy. Because really it's all about me and what I deserve and what I want and what I need. And if the whole world would fall in line with the way that I drew it up, if everyone would behave and act the way I want them to, then I'd be happy. And such people are dead even while they're alive. You ever interact with somebody who's sleepwalking through life, who's depressed and despondent, who's hollow and who's empty, who's numbing themselves? We had an amazing program this past Mote Shabbos before Slichos. Those of you who are there know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are not, shame on you for not coming. It was a great community conversation about recovery. And we had people who were in the recovery program. One person in particular shared his really in-depth story. And the common denominator, the common theme of people who turn to lives of addiction, of substances, but really any form of addiction, often, often, is there's something missing, there's a gap, there's a hole inside one's heart, and they're trying to numb themselves to the feeling or the pain of that emptiness. And the process, the system of recovery, is to fill that hole so that you don't feel empty and you don't need to be numb because there's nothing greater than being alive. That's the words, Be'emunas O'Yechia. When you live with, and it's not a coincidence that so instrumental to the recovery process, and we talked about this too on Motzei Shabbos, is submitting to a higher power. Is it the third step? It's one of the steps in the 12-step recovery, is the willing to submit to a higher power, to welcome God, to realize I'm not in control, I can't do it alone, I don't dictate everything around me, and I need help, I need support, I am dependent, not independent. It's not a coincidence that living with Emuna. Submitting to a higher power, Yichya. That's how we recover in life. That's how we fill the hole. That's how we can find the happiness without needing to numb ourselves to avoid the pain that we are confronting. Be'emunaso Yichya. It's our parsha. I want to get into our learning today. So far we've mentioned the title. But it's our parsha that tells us that we could choose life or death. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. The Pasuk actually says, choose life so that you live. Rav Moshe Feinstein was bothered. I didn't get to this yesterday in the Parsha class. What do you mean choose life so that you live? If you've chosen life, obviously you're alive. So isn't it redundant? What does the Pasuk mean? Choose life so that you live. It means that we have choices. We confront choices every day. We can be lazy or we can live life with alacrity. We can be selfish or we can be selfless and care about the people around us. We could live life and think the here and now is all there is. We could realize we can submit to a higher power. There's something so much bigger than ourselves. There's something so much more going on. If we make the right choices, we're truly alive. We're not only living in this world, but we are 
creating an immortality for ourselves. We will live on forever. So we last left off last week, and uh, we were talking about the fact that we're made up of four elements, fire and uh, water and earth and wind. And each of those four elements, if they're in, out of balance, if they're out of whack, each of the four elements, if they're corrupt, expresses itself in these different symptoms that we have. So we've been talking about fire. When the fire is misguided and misdirected, when the fire is, is burning unfettered and there's nothing controlling it, it expresses itself as arrogance and it comes out as anger and rage. Don't extinguish the fire. The fire in the belly is a good thing. Excuse me. Said Ravobi. To be on fire is to be passionate, to be enthusiastic, to be excited. That's a good thing. That's what creates romance and relationships. That's what creates commitment to an exercise program. That's what creates charisma and being alive. That's the source of our drive to get ahead and succeed at work and in life. Fire in our bellies, good. But it has to be channeled, it has to be focused, it has to be directed. Because when the fire is burning in every direction, it comes out as arrogance and it comes out as rage, it comes out as anger. And what Revolba was quoting from Rechaim Vital is, rather than work on the anger or the arrogance, those are symptoms. You got to take care of the fundamental problem, which is the fire. You got to address the fire. And so we said, how do we do that? Through davening. Through davening, quoted from the Ramban, that we daven every day, why? Three times a day we gather in shul, three times a day we go to the gym. That's too much, even for the greatest exercise enthusiast. Even for the greatest exercise enthusiast among us, three times a day is too much. You know, you like see these people on the Peloton, they're like, this is my fifth ride today in the Peloton. Like hip replacement, knee replacement, back replacement, those surgeries, they might as well schedule them now. But there's also such a thing as unhealthy addiction. You could be addicted even to healthy things and it becomes unhealthy. Addiction even to healthy things can become unhealthy. But anyway, halavai, we should have that problem. We'll get there, to that addiction. Um, so we come to shul three times a day because the shul is the gym of the soul. And why do we come work out in the gym of the soul? We come to work out those muscles because if you don't work out muscles, they atrophy and they die. If you ever go a week without going on the Peloton, if you skip exercise class for a couple weeks, you don't just have to pick up as if you weren't there for a day, you're like starting all over again. It's, it's amazing how quickly, how quickly our muscles atrophy and how quickly we set ourselves back. It's unbelievable. I was just talking to somebody who had a major surgery on their leg and they were telling me because they were in a cast and they weren't using their leg until they started rehab, that one leg was so much thinner than the other. I remember when I had Achilles surgery, I had the same thing. When the cast came off, one leg is like a toothpick compared to the other. Because you spent a month not putting pressure on it. A month. In, in many years, I have been alive a few more years than one month. And yet, in one month, your leg, you don't use your leg for one month, it looks like a toothpick. It's thin. You, gotta do, you can't even lift yourself up on it, on your toes. You gotta do rehab and rehab and rehab. The muscles die quickly. They atrophy, they disappear beyond what you'd ever believe in terms of how quick they come out. So the Ramban says the same is true with the muscles of the soul, the muscle of Amuna, the muscle to have the faith to know that I can confront whatever comes my way today. The muscles to have the faith to say, as frustrated as I get, I'm gonna stay calm, calm, cool, and collect. It's all gonna be good. It's all gonna be good. There's a reason for everything. If I don't work those muscles out, they won't respond when I need them. They won't be strong. They won't be able to lift me and support me when I have to turn to them. Not only in moments of major crisis, of which there are many, but even minor insignificant things. I was in New York on Sunday for the Torah in New York at City Field, 
beautiful, beautiful celebration, a beautiful event the OU puts on. 2,000 people come to study for a whole day. Amazing diversity of shiurim. Part of it was the Smichas Chaver, this program that we've had here in our shul. We just concluded the first semester, the first man of it. 45 men came every Sunday. 35 of them took a test. All 35 passed the test. And we had a great party two nights ago. We awarded the certificate. It was a really beautiful event. So I'm coming home from City Field and uh, got stuck in traffic. Got stuck in traffic. I was sitting in the back of a car and we went a certain way. We decided, for whatever reason, because Hashem wanted us to, to ignore ways and to go the way that ways told us, definitely, whatever you do, no matter what, don't go. And we were in standstill, absolute traffic, with no anger or bitterness to the person who made that decision, who I love from the bottom of my heart. But that was the muscle. It wasn't your heaven. It wasn't your heaven. It was not your heaven. Maybe sure it's the same DNA, but it was not Yocheved. So, <laughs> so um, I was sitting in the back seat, and again, you start. To, it's been a long day. The previous night was sleepless. Went to bed 3 a.m. Got up to get get to the flight. Like I just want to get back. And then, if you don't have that muscle to turn to that says, you know what? It was meant to be that you're in traffic right now, not moving, and the air conditioning is not pumping so well in the back seat. That's meant to be. That's what was meant to be right now. So you could get frustrated at a person who you love. So what are you going to do? You get so little time with them, you're going to ruin that time because you're frustrated because of a split second, maybe bad decision, which we're all guilty of all the time. So you're confronted with this moment. I barely get to spend time with someone I deeply love. I can ruin it by getting frustrated. Or I could say, you know what? It's more quality time together in the car. Big deal. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Let's enjoy now. We'll get there whenever we were meant to get there. We'll get there when we're meant to get there. Those are the insignificant, really stupid moments, but that you need your Amuna muscle to kick in and to say, it was meant to be to be sitting in this traffic. It was meant to be to ignore the greatness and the beauty of a satellite system that can see much further and better than any of us and tell us what to avoid and where to go. Never doubt, never ever doubt the Heliga ways. So that's a decision that you have in that moment. So if your muscles died, if your spiritual muscles dead, and you can't tap into it at that moment, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna say something you're gonna regret. You're gonna alienate a relationship. You're gonna ruin this limited time that you have together. You're gonna be frustrated and just aggravate yourself. I tell you what, you know what does not happen when you get aggravated? You know what does not happen if you say something stupid? You know what does not happen if you ruin the limited time that you have? You know what doesn't happen? Traffic doesn't clear up. It doesn't make you get where you wanna go any faster. There's nothing you can do. Well, you could get off the exit that Waze now tells you to get off, but that's besides the point. We don't need to go there. But there's nothing you can do to make you get there faster. So that's when, so, so the Ramban says, we have spiritual muscles of Amuna. If we work them out, they get bigger, they get stronger, they're more responsive, they're more instinctive when we need them. When we're stuck in traffic, when the flight is late, when our kid, bless you, is misbehaving or knocks on your door even though you locked it in the middle of the night because they insist on sleeping on your floor or your couch, if the muscle, if the Amuna muscle memory kicks in, nothing phases you. The, the fire inside you doesn't cause you to lose it. Because if your Amuna muscle kicks in, you won't get angry and you won't get arrogant. You won't say, this is not how I drew it up. I was supposed to arrive there by this time and get to sleep by this time and still do these five things by that time. Nothing phases you. The fire doesn't consume and destroy others around you because the Amuna muscle kicks in. But if the Amuna muscle atrophies and it dies, and it's not there for you when you need it, you know, when I got the cast off after the Achilles surgery and I had to walk very gingerly, I had to start to rehab. If I tried try to put all the pressure, all my weight on my foot, that first step, I would have fallen right on my face. 
I would have fallen right on my face. In fact, on that knee scooter, several times I did fall right on my face. Matthew has a collection of videos from the security camera that he entertains himself with whenever he's in a bad mood. So you'll fall, you'll fall, right, you'll fall right on your face. And again, the same is true with Emuna muscle memory as well. If your Amuna muscle memory is not strong, if your Amuna muscles are not there, and then when you need them, you put all your weight on them, they'll collapse. You'll collapse, you'll fall right on your face. When life throws something hard our way, insignificant like stuck in traffic, or super significant, like God forbid a health crisis, a financial crisis, a relationship crisis, if the muscle's not strong, we'll fall flat on our face. That's why we get together Wednesdays, because this is our gym and we're working out our Amuna muscle and we're hoping it'll be strong and be there for us when we need it. So the Ramban says that's why we daven. When we daven, we come together three times a day, and it is the gym, it's the place that we come. This is the Ramban's language on page Ayin Zayin, the second paragraph, page Ayin Zayin. Ramban teaches, the purpose of a base kinesis, of a shul, This is a place for Jews to gather, and to admit, and to acknowledge, and to be grateful that God has created us. And to publicize this, Say, God, we work for you, you don't work for us. God, I defer to your plan. I'm not asking you to defer to my plan. God, I'll take all the initiative I can. I'll be my best. I'll do everything I can in my power. But in the end of the day, I trust you. And I know that you're in charge. And three times a day we do that. And we only grow stronger. And therefore, more capable to confront and face whatever is going to be thrown at us. Bottom paragraph. Midas Akas. I'm sorry. Turn the page. We're up to the Sikum on page I and Tess, right? Yeah. That was the Ramban. But now we're up to the Sikum. Skip to turn the page I and Tess. We're up to the summary of this section. We spoke in here about how we have the power of Amuna to improve the fire inside us. In other words, the whole thing that Revolba, the whole message that Revolba is communicating to us is whatever Midos problems we have in our lives, whatever um, Midos, character trait, problems we're struggling with. We're impatient, we're greedy, we're jealous and we're envious, we're angry. Whatever character flaw that we have, the solution is not to break the character flaw, then we just have two bad character flaws. The solution is to not deal with the symptom, to deal with the cause. The cause of anger and arrogance is fire. The antidote to the fire is emuna. Emuna. When we submit to a higher power, it works for millions of people in recovery, and every one of us should be in recovery from the poor habits, poor decisions, poor thoughts, poor behaviors that we have formed. And we need to enter that recovery program where we realize that we have to submit to a higher power. If you live with Amuna every minute of the day, you are connected to, you are tied with. And you have a Wi-Fi connection, Everywhere you go, your phone, you're like, 3G, 4G, 5G, how's the Wi-Fi, one bar, two bar, three bars, what's my connection? If you have no connection, you panic. I was at a Sheva Brachas in Brooklyn two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was in the basement of a shul, it was magnificent, they had redone the whole place, but nobody was concerned with anyone having connection. So I was, it was like leaving my kidneys upstairs and going down to the basement. I was like leaving organs upstairs and having to go down to the basement, mostly because I couldn't bear being disconnected from my wife. But, you know, you have this FOMO, what's going on in the world and what's happening around me and I don't really need, you, we have this need to, to be connected. We have a need to be connected. And if we're not connected for a moment, if we're not connected for a moment, we panic, we panic. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty created a world where everything in the world is a metaphor for how we can connect with Him. 
everything in the world that was given to us is a metaphor for how to relate to him. The Chavetz Chaim was your tzai, was this past week. The Chavetz Chaim said this when the telephone was invented. He talked about it as a metaphor for how to connect with Hashem. Allah has kama v'kama, all the more so you think about Wi-Fi or broadband or 4G or 5G networks. So that's what he's saying, Ravoba. Hamamin, a person who has amuna margish feels kashur levbori barach. I have, I have 5G. I have a T1, can, I have the highest level, the fastest connection there can be. If you don't have a Muna, you're walking around with no connection. You're on your own. You're on your own. And if you have a Muna, you are uber connected, hyper connected. You have the highest and fastest level of connection. And what is the benefit of being connected? Well, when you're connected, you could be in communication. When you're connected, you have the peace of mind to know that if there were an emergency, you could reach somebody. If you're connected, you have access to apps which can enrich your life for the good. If you're connected, there's enormous benefits. And if you're connected to Hashem with Amuna, then you know that everything happening in your life is for a reason. It's for a reason. Nothing is random and nothing is chance. That it's all there for a reason. So what am I going to get angry about? Because I'm stuck in traffic. I'll get home 20 minutes, 30 minutes later than I thought I would. So I have 20, 30 more minutes of quality time. Or I could sit in the back and open my laptop or open a safer or open or close my eyes and get some sleep. If we, in every moment that we're in, say, how can I transform this for the good? What benefit could I get out of it? Each moment that we're alive is a test. It's a test. Are we going to pass or are we going to fail? Is our muscle immune memory going to kick in and we're going to realize it's all for a reason? Why get angry? Why lose myself? Am I going to submit to a higher power? Or am I going to have such bad judgment that I sabotage and I self-destruct, and I hurt myself by ruining those moments. We have to understand the depth of Midos. Ravoba was the great Mashkiach of Yushalayim. He was a student of the whole Musar movement, and he became a transmitter of the Musar movement. And what is the Musar movement? Rav Yisrael Salanter, the great founder of the Musar movement, lived at a time where he said, the Torah, everything blessed you can be found in the Torah. If you sit and you study Torah, whether it's Chumash or Torah Shabbat, the Gemara, everything can be found in it. But you know what happened? Rabbi Yisrael looked at his generation and he said, while everything can be found in it, what are the laws of my ox scores, your ox? What are the laws of financial damages? What are the laws of Shabbos and Kashas? What are the laws? It all can be found in there. But you know what? It wasn't making people better people. It was making us more knowledgeable people it gave us greater wisdom, but it wasn't making us better. And Rav Yisrael Salanter said, you know, human character traits and qualities, patience and greed and anger and envy and all the character traits, they need to be studied and analyzed like a sugya of Gemara. They are as complicated, they're as difficult, you know, and, and that's, Ramcha writes this in his introduction to Mesil Sasharim, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically writes, and I remember this from Yeshiva, who were the really like righteous people? Who were like the good, righteous kids who studied Musr and worked on themselves? They were the ones who weren't so smart. They couldn't get ahead in learning. If you're really smart, you excel in learning. Learning, learning, learning. Yechavet and I bemoan this all the time in this current shidduch system, which our community is not as knee-deep in or affected by. But in some communities, that shidduch system, the only measure by which they determine the worth of a boy, at least, is what kind of learner he is. He's such a good learner. He's one of the mitzuyanim. He's such a phenomenal, fantastic learner. This has been said. A boy is such a good learner. His parents shouldn't have to split supporting them when they get married for him to learn. He's such a good learner. The girl's parents should have to cover 100% of the cost. This has been said to people we know. And to the parents of that boy, don't compromise. 
your son is a mitsuyan and you will, you are, you are hurting him if you agree that you're willing to split the cost because you're suggesting he's not great. So he said he's great in learning. How do you know he's got a great husband? Because he's great in learning. Someone's got a brilliant mind, a brilliant head. That means he's going to be a brilliant father or a brilliant husband. It's brilliant character traits. He could be horrible, verbally, emotionally abusive, neglectful, absentee. He could be horrible. That's a mitsuyan. That's, that's the number one. He's arrogant because he's hurt his whole life. He's one of the mitsuyanim. And nobody, he shouldn't have to compromise an iota. It's an enormous flaw in the shidduch system. It's an enormous flaw that that is the one measure by which we are determining someone's value and worth and who they should be set up with and what are the terms and conditions of the, of the marriage. It's an enormous, enormous flaw and people need to have the courage to speak out and stop it. So Rishor Salantar said, yeah, learning, Talmud Torah keneged kulam. This is the everything in our lives. Learning Torah is the air that we breathe. Of course, it's fundamental, it's foundational, it's everything. But the learning is supposed to fashion and form us into better people. And so he said, you know, we need to study character traits like their Gemara. Analyze them and take them apart and, and appreciate them and learn from them. So that's what Revolba is saying here, right here. We need to know what makes us tick. We need to understand ourselves. We need to be able to um, learn how to change habits. We need to learn how to become more disciplined and show self-restraint. Af sholtos aleinu. The more that Amuna is living and breathing within us, the more that Amuna is well within us, the healthier we are, then the healthier we'll act and the healthier that we'll be. There's a direct correlation, says Ravolba, a direct correlation between living with faith, submitting to a higher power, realizing there's something greater than ourselves, and being more humble and more calm and more patient and more kind and more happy and not jealous, and so on and so forth. Okay, Vad Yud Beis, next page, starting the next chapter. So the first thing we spoke about was fire. Fire is uh, the source of arrogance and anger. If we can learn to channel and control the fire, a controlled fire is good, then we can conquer the anger and the jealous, and the uh, arrogance. Okay, next. The second element of the four elements in everybody is, after fire is, wind. And the notion, the idea that there's wind within us is the idea of speech. There's a correlation between the wind, the, the function, the faculty, the element of wind in us, and our power of speech. And the, the um, branches of this are the negative use of speech. What's a negative use of speech? Lashanara. Gossip. Rechilos. Sheker. Lying. Distortions. Untruths. Uchidoma. When we abuse that power of speech, when we're not using it to build but to destroy, when we're not using it for truth but we're using it to, to spread lies, when we're not using it to make people feel good but we're using it to knock people down, then speech, that's that notion of the element of wind in us. The Gemara in Sota tells us there are four categories of groups of people who God does not want to hang around them. Of course, God is not a person. We're anthropomorphizing God. But it means that just like we have people, there are people everybody loves to be around. They're charismatic, they're fun, they're fun-loving, they make us feel good about ourselves. Everyone is drawn to be around them. And then you have people who nobody wants to be around them. They're negative and fabissant and they complain and they're miserable, they bring you down, they make you feel bad about yourself, they make you feel bad about the world. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty also says, look, I, dear Abetachtonim, God says, I try to create, I want to have a presence in the world. I want to live among you. So who does God like to hang out with? 
Who are the groups of people? Who are God's crew? I never used that word when I was growing up, but my kids use it. They have a crew. It's our crew. It's my crew. It's a crew. And when I was a crew, they were like guys with hard hats building buildings. <laughs> now kids have a crew. Everybody's got a crew. Who's God's crew? Who's Hashem's crew? So the Gemara says in, in Sota, Oda's kas mesapre lashanhara says, Hashem does not hang out with people who gossip. He doesn't want to hang out with people who gossip. Because the person who gossips, they're as if a heretic. It's as if they're a denial of God. And I have to tell you, you know why you don't want to hang out around gossipers? I had a friend, and I, very, one of the rare few times in my life that I really withdrew from a relationship. Not overtly and not explicitly, and I didn't break up with him. I just consciously spent less time. And I'll tell you why. I realized in almost every interaction I had, he was sharing his judgment, his opinions, his thoughts, and everyone else that we knew and that we had in common. And they weren't usually very positive. And I realized if that's how he's talking to me about them, then the great likelihood is that's how he's talking to them about me. And I'm not interested in that. Because to me, the underlying most important principle in friendship is loyalty. It's loyalty. Be loyal. You got a problem? You got a beef? You got a bone to pick with me? Tell me. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Just tell me. But family, friendship, it's the difference between an acquaintance. You don't have to be loyal. You should be loyal to everyone. But you don't have to be loyal to an acquaintance. You don't have to be loyal to a stranger. You should be. You don't have to be. But a friend or family, you have to be loyal. And if you're not loyal, what kind of friend, what kind of family member are you? So when you hang out with somebody who all they do is talk about others to you, then you need to know that the likelihood is they're talking about you to others. And then I found out that that was the case. It wasn't hard to, to confirm that. And so I just pulled back because that's just, uh, it doesn't feel good. If there's no loyalty, you don't want to be there. So Hashem says, I don't want to hang out in a group that's gossiping. If you're all talking about sitting in judgment, this one's this, and you got a name for everyone. That guy's a bum, that guy's cheap, this one's this, that one's lazy, that one's, a, you know, then who, who wants to be around that? Who wants to be around that? So the Gemara says in Erechen, that a person who gossips, it's as if they are a heretic, denial of God. As the Pasuk says, so Rabbi Yonah in Shari Tshuva explains this. What does this mean? Why is the person who gossips as if they're in denial of God? Why? What, correlate, what connection is there between the two? Can't I be righteous and religious and faithful? Can't I be a holy roller and shuckle and davening and my Shemona Esri is forever? And then when I'm done, I have some good juicy gossip to share with somebody. Why is it if I share juicy, good, delicious Lashonara <laughs> that I'm considered to be a heretic in denial of God? What's the connection between the two? Anyone, anyone have a suggestion? Why is that a form of heresy? What does God have to do with it? Excuse me, God, could you, do you mind? In, you're interrupting. I'm sharing some good Lashonara here. What does God have to do with the Lashonara that I speak? I remember there was a guy when I was a kid, there was a guy in my shul growing up. He used to say to me, Ephraim, I don't repeat Lashonara. So listen carefully the first time. <laughs> That's what he used to say to me. I don't repeat Lashon Hara. So listen carefully the first time. Yes, Pam. Beautiful. I love that. Because would you talk like that if God were in the room? And if you're talking like that, what you're saying is God is not in your room. That's beautiful. Thank you for coming today. That's fantastic. That's great. That's great. Let's live life always, live life always, the person's in the room. I'll tell you, we're running out of time, but I'll tell you something amazing I learned from a lay leader many years ago who said to us as a shul leadership once, 
and you're making, we've never done anything wrong, don't worry, everyone take a deep breath, but sometimes you make decisions and you say, you know, is this the right decision, the wrong decision, and, and this lay leader taught us and said to, to ask ourselves the following question. The, the principle that was shared with us is, if you wouldn't do it in front of your spouse, it's cheating. If you wouldn't do it in front of your spouse, it's cheating. We have a very high definition of cheating, which means really cheating, but the truth is anything you wouldn't do in front of your spouse is cheating. So you're flirting with the waitress, but you wouldn't do that if your wife were sitting there, then don't do it if she's not there. So I apply, and, and that was the message to us was, would you do it if the whole congregation were gathered and watching? If you wouldn't, then don't do it. If you would, then you can do it. And that's what I tell my accountant. I want you to push the envelope as far as possible, save me as much money as you can, but don't do anything you wouldn't do if the IRS agent were sitting next to you while you were preparing the tax return. So it's a great principle for life. If you, would you do it if they were in the room? If you wouldn't do it if they were there, then don't do it. Then if you, and if you would do it if they were in the room, then feel free to do it. Whether it's the IRS agent, the shul membership, or your spouse, it's a great lesson for life. And it's also true about God. Let's say God took on a, a form that you could see him, hear him, feel him. If you wouldn't watch that on Netflix with him sitting next to you, if you wouldn't say that with him sitting next to you, if you wouldn't, go, if you wouldn't do that, then don't do it because he's sitting next to you. So Pam, it's a beautiful insight that if you're doing it, what you're saying is God's not sitting next to me. So when you speak Lashonara, when you gossip, it's kafar be'ikar, bless you, because you're saying God is not in my room. Beautiful. Any other suggestions? Yes. tell you, I'm, I want you know, I hesitated about putting this out there as a question, or should I just read what he said? But I'm so happy I did, because these are two beautiful, beautiful insights. So the second suggestion, what's your name? Shirley. Shirley. The second suggestion is, uh, Shirley suggests, that if we understand that Hashem is our collective father, and we are all his children, it makes us all siblings. So for a parent, I spoke about this, I think, yesterday in the Parsha class, there's nothing more painful for a parent than to see siblings not getting along. When you see siblings not getting along, siblings gossiping about each other, siblings fighting with each other, attention among siblings, it's very unbearably painful for a parent. So when we gossip about our sibling, our fellow man, fellow human, human it's painful for God. That's kafar be'ikar. Beautiful. Two magnificent interpretations. Anyone else? Might as well keep going because we're getting some good stuff here. Yes, Shirley, number two. Yes. Beautiful. In other words, if I make a piece of art and you gossip about my art and I hear you gossiped about my art, I'm not going to feel very good. So we are all creations of Hashem. We all have a Tzalem Elohim. And when we gossip about another person, we're gossiping about Hashem's artwork, about Hashem's handiwork. He's no interest in that. Keep going. These are great. These are fantastic. Amazing. I'm scared to keep reading because those are three amazing, those are three phenomenal interpretations. Thank you, Shirley and Pam. So Revoba says the following. He says, He has a third interpretation. His fourth interpretation is that you, you think your mouth is yours to do as you want? Our mouth is the company car. You can't drive the company car for private business. You can't use the company car to hurt the company. Gersh Baruch who gave you the power of speech. There are people who have no power of speech. 
Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us the power of speech. When you abuse that power of speech, you are abusing the company car. You're abusing your expense account. You're abusing your computer or the phone that was given to you by the company. Not only are you abusing it, you're abusing it in a way that's hurting the company, that's going against what the company wants. This is also a pretty good one. Number four. So therefore, you're a denier of Hashem, you're a heretic in Hashem, it's kafar be'ikr, because it's on loan from God. It's not yours. It's not yours. Don't ever take for granted that we have it. We're not entitled to it. It's not magia lanu. It's not coming to us. It's not coming to us. I've been so grateful all week because we have a dear friend in our community who, who's had back pains for the last two years. Come this way, Mr. Sanders. Who's had back pains for the last two years, but this past Shabbos was walking home and got to the lake and stopped. Something tweaked in his back. He literally couldn't move. Was in bed and out of commission. Come. Was in bed and out of commission. I'm sorry. No, no, it's no problem. It's my sorry. pleasure. It's always good to see you. He was in bed and out of commission. He literally could not walk, couldn't raise his arm to schedule the MRI. And yesterday I had to go into surgery. And Baruch Hashem, surgery was successful. Mir Hashem, he should have a complete and a speedy, amazing Rafu Shlema. He's an amazing, special, dear friend. Why am I telling you that? Because I was just, every time I like felt bad about something, I'd remember, you know what? I can move. I'm upright. <laughs> I was thinking about him. He, he, he was, another mutual friend described, he's never heard an adult cry in pain like he heard him cry in pain. So you say, you know, I'm not crying in pain. I'm, I'm already ahead today. I woke up, my back, I could stand upright, I could walk to the Amunashir, I could sit in a chair, I could go on to wherever I'm going next, whatever else I'm facing, my back is working, I don't need to have one of my vertebrae removed, it's not crushing a nerve, I'm already, I'm good, I'm good. So whether it's our spine and our back, or whether it's our eyes and our ears, or whether it's our lips and our mouth, these things are on loan from God, they're not part of our permanent collection. And you know, he took one step and he couldn't move, and next thing you know, he's in surgery. So it takes one moment, and whatever it is we're taking for granted, that faculty, it's gone. So while we have it, don't take it for granted and use it for the purpose for which it was given to us. We are stewards over it. We are just custodians or trustees of it. We're given a mouth to be a trustee, to use the power of speech to do good in the world. When we're cynical and sarcastic, and when we lie and distort the truth, and when we gossip and we slander, hurt others, then we're abusing the company car. We're misusing the phone that the company gave us and pays for. That is the fourth interpretation. So what were the four interpretations? Why is that if you gossip, it, you're, that's the power of wind in us. The element of wind misused is, comes out as gossip. And why is that a, a heretic? Why are we kofar be'ikr? So we had four reasons. Number one, Pam said was, because Hashem's in the room. You wouldn't do it with Hashem in the room. If you're doing it, Hashem is not in your, in your room. You're in denial of Hashem. Number two, Shirley said, because you don't speak negatively about your siblings. Nothing hurts apparently like speaking negatively about your siblings. Number three, if you love somebody, you don't rank on their artwork. You don't rank on their poem they wrote. You don't rank on their book or the website they designed. If you love Hashem, then you're not going to gossip about His handiwork, the things He created. And number four, revolba is that these things are on loan to us. We are stewards over them. And if we abuse them and misuse them, then we are violating the trust of the person who gave it to us. We are kafar be'ikar. We are heretics of Hashem. Yes? Um, as I watch people who got very ill and could no longer daven, that really hits you. That's power of davening, the ability to daven. The power of you talk about the power of speech, even just the power to be able to daven is not something we should take for granted. Well, also like in the morning, I know some women have said, when, you know, thank you God for letting me go to the bathroom, let's say. So really, it comes gives us everything every morning. 
Right, nothing is too small, it's not minutia, why are we mentioning it? Each of these blessings is to pause and stop and think, wow, my back works. You know, when you're out on your back and your nerves are being pressed on, going to the bathroom is not simple. Everything that happens, none of it should be taken for granted. Right, the whole, right, zokef kifufim, that's one of the 15 morning blessings of birchas hashachar. God, you help the bent over stand upright. The fact that I'm standing upright, that I have a spine and it holds me up and I'm standing upright and it's not pressing on the nerves right now, that's, that's an unbelievable blessing. So our lives should be filled with great blessings. I think we're on break till after Sukkot because I don't think there's another Wednesday between now and Sukkot. So I want to wish everyone a Ksiva Chasimatova, a sweet and a happy and a blessed year. A year that's filled with Emuna. Next Wednesday. What's next Wednesday? Som Gedalia. Do we want to learn on Som Gedalia? Okay, see everyone next Wednesday.